Before we begin, just to let you guys know, our logo artwork was designed by Nicole Anarchy and music by Taylor Paisley French. Warning, this podcast does contain spoilers for the Verse series. Please be aware that there are some technical issues with the audio in this episode. I apologise for not being able to fix this in post, but I hope you enjoy the episode all the same. Hello everyone and welcome to the Best Damn Camp, a Reverse read-along and analysis podcast that sets out to read all the books by Rick Riordan in timeline order. I'm your host Fran and welcome to the show. Today I am not alone as I have a very special guest with an incredible Instagram page that basically, in my opinion and the opinion of many other Percy Jackson podcasters, helps keep this fandom alive. And that is Caitlin <laughs> from the brilliant... Persa Beth Feels fandom Instagram page and a pretty incredible booktube YouTube channel as well. Caitlin, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Wow, what a what an introduction. <laughs> I would hate to disappoint after that amazing introduction. <laughs> oh, <laughs> really gosh. putting me up on a pedestal there. <laughs> Oh. That's that's so lovely. Um, and I think it's actually, it's really nice because um, we've been following each other for a while. Mm. And I was, um, the other podcast that I've been a guest on, Seaweed Brain Podcast, um, they were also following me for a while. So before um, I was able to join them. And it's really cool that like, this little community I've created, like this, this Percy Jackson thing, um, enables me to do things like a podcast. Like, that's so cool. I never thought I'd be able to do that. <laughs> oh, I totally hear you. As someone who like runs this podcast, to this day, I'm still like, I can't believe I run a Percy Jackson podcast. That's still kind of weird. Like, when did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's also like, from the standpoint of someone earning an account, it's like, and people follow me for it? Like, dang. <laughs> why all I do is complain why do you follow me (laughs) it's either I complain or I cry (laughs) yeah it's either or there is no in between (laughs) pretty much yeah but um just before we dive in just let everyone know where they can find all the stuff for you on, on on the socials oh well I have a list I'm like on every facet of the internet like there is no part of the internet I haven't touched yet. Um, so my main um, account on Instagram is Persebeth Feels Fandom. Um, I have a YouTube account where I talk about like books, um, lifestyle and writing. Um, that one is Caitlin Reads a Lot. Um, I have an Instagram actually also by that same name where I do like book reviews and stuff. And that's also Caitlin Reads a Lot underscore um I'm pretty sure those are all the main ones uh, that you can find me on if not um (laughs) I'm sure I have a highlight on my actual account where you can find me anywhere else but those are the main three if you want to hear me ramble about Percy Jackson (laughs) and anything and everything above 
All right, awesome. And obviously for everyone listening, that will be linked in the episode show notes. So go pause this episode, go follow Caitlin, and then come back and listen to the rest of the episode because well, <laughs> it's going to be a fun episode. Like I can already tell. I'm looking at the notes that we've done and we are ready to go. So <laughs> um, with that in mind, obviously today we are continuing the timeline journey with the Lost Hero story break, The Wolf House, which is from pages 468 to 518. We're finally getting to the near end of the book, guys. I know I'm tired. How are you doing? <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, as always, yeah. yeah. yeah uh, honestly, this book is so draining. <laughs> it's insane. But um, as always, we've <laughs> our points to focus on. So today we've got family, fight scenes, narrative, and generally what we thought of it. But to begin, here's the synopsis, courtesy of Caitlin. Wow, I feel so important. Okay. <laughs> um, in these chapters, we finally get to see some divine action with our trio and with the goddess who jump-started the prophecy of the seven and evidently got herself trapped, as well as meeting the big villain of the story and her precious giants. Questions are answered, memories are remembered, and monster ass gets beat <laughs> and our characters finally gain some personality <laughs> Woo! Um, these are personally some of my favorite parts of the book because it's actually interesting um, i'm going to be completely honest here um, not sure if a lot of people know but the lost trio um, is not my personal favorite i don't like them a lot um, which is due to the, their development but we'll get into that later um, but this little snippet is pretty much the climax of our story so let's get into it starting with Piper yes so oh, that's a pretty overview of these chapters by the way it's like yes this is really to the point I, I, I appreciate the level of detail and the commentary because honestly don't worry people who've been listening to my podcast know I, I hate the lost hero book with an intense passion because like you said, it's just so boring, isn't it? It's just not interesting. The characters don't really change. They don't have much of a development. It's kind of disappointing for this to be like the opening of this huge arc of a series. But uh, It's a shame, really, because like, um, I feel like with each book, it does gradually get better. But uh, it's just a shame. Like, it could have been... There's so many things that could have been done better. Anyway, yes, continue. Yeah, no, I totally agree. But, um, yeah, to get into it. So, obviously, we have Piper's Chapters overview section, as has been done throughout. But this is part one, because there are two different parts for Piper in the Wolf House section, because Piper is the only valid character in this series. But <laughs> to get into the overview, it is as follows. With a traumatized father, a guilt-ridden Piper, Charm speaks a pilot to get them to the airport her dad was last at. Realizing she has to get him home to safety, she decides to leave the quest. Until Hedge steps up for, for once. A private word with her father has her realize how broken he's become. And remembering her mum's gift offers him a potion to forget everything. With her dad heading home, she finally lets out all the anguish she's felt. Though unfortunately for Fran, I, for, for Fran, I just spoke about myself in the third person. 
know. Unfortunately for me, <laughs> it's with Jason. <laughs> oh God, I'm that level of pretentious Brit now. Jesus. <laughs> oh. Um. <laughs> I speak to myself at third person as well. It's okay. <laughs> I'm just reading it straight, not even recognizing that no, I put good, my own name. Oh dear. Uh, <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> after getting their bearings, Talia drops in with a message. It's time to head to Jack London's Wolf House. And hopefully Leo will be a good driver. God. <laughs> I'll let you start because I'm just going to like sit in this embarrassment for a moment. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> You're good. Um, I think uh, um, going chronologically because I know I jump around a lot. Um, first thing, uh, I really like the emotion we get from Piper just because I feel like we don't get a lot from her. Um at least that I can like remember just off the top of my head mm. um like she like I think all of these three characters thus far um emotionally they're all very underdeveloped um so seeing her interact with someone who isn't the like the the trio or someone from camp whatever um it was really interesting to see her dynamic with them um and I feel like as as well because he's her dad we feel the stakes um and how like um jaya gaya however you say it i still don't know to this day um (laughs) we can see (laughs) we can see how like it's impacting like people who are not just demigods and we get like that um that mortal perspective and we talk about this a bit more later with our notes Mm. how it's really interesting to see like um a, a standpoint from someone who is not blessed with the site or like we see with Rachel and Sally or who are not like directly part of it um which was really interesting and I like how it adds a little bit more depth to Piper's character that we otherwise don't see no definitely I think it's like it's interesting to see her response to because like it's something that feels so raw for a character to see their parents break down in front of their eyes like this is like basically basically still a child seeing someone that they've idolized someone that they look up to like you don't see your parents really break down like that like that's something they usually kind of hide away you don't ever really see with them but piper is seeing this for the first time and she's she kind of doesn't know how to deal with like she, she even says like i can't remember the exact quote but basically like this isn't my dad like he doesn't cry like this he doesn't cry like a little boy he doesn't break down this way he's strong he's powerful he this Mm, isn't yeah yeah I remember that and it's just reading that was it was heartbreaking to read like this is like a, a young girl seeing like the real side of her father and she doesn't know how to cope with it like it's it's painful for her to see and we even get like from Leo mentioning it in some of his chapters yeah like if it hurt him to see it yeah yeah if it hurt him to see it he couldn't imagine what Piper must be going through um the whole thing with Tristan is just devastating just like and like you said like this is the first time we're seeing the effect of knowing about mythology on someone who doesn't have the sight on someone who 
doesn't want to know about these things and has expressed sort of like fear about the prospects in the past. Like, I don't know if you've read Magnus Chase, but that's the only other series I know of that's um, shown someone struggling to cope with the knowledge of like mythological beings being real. Um, and there's like a, a description for it, which is when I've read this again since after reading Magnus Chase, seeing Tristan's response and like this, the fact that he seems like he's actually almost physically and mentally breaking just at this knowledge just reminds mm-hmm. me of the description. Like it's too much for them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like um, it puts you in a kind of shell shock. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just... That's, it's really, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it's so well written as well. Like, it's something, it's this like that where I'm just kind of like, actually, you know, there are, there are really good moments in The Lost Hero. They're few and far between, but this is one of them because the way it's written like you feel the pain of it like you can feel this pain that he's going through and the pain that Piper is going through seeing it as well um and the only thing that does kind of disappoint me about it is that we had so few moments of Piper thinking about her dad and like the anxiety of her dad being missing because all she seemed to think about consistently in yeah. almost every chapter that she has was about Jason. And I'm like, come on. He's a plank of wood with no interesting personality traits. Your father has been kidnapped. <laughs> Why don't you care to the same level that you seem to care about this boy who doesn't know who you are? It just makes no sense to me. It feels like a really wasted opportunity. Um but seeing it happen in front of our eyes now, like her her own sort of loss at seeing her father lose himself, you have that oomph behind of that ache. But I feel like it would have been more powerful if we'd actually had more references to like her like a lead her up dad. to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. Because and it I doesn't... think um, oh, I think because we're also um... yeah, sorry, <laughs> Karen, Karen. <laughs> because we're older as well um it's like okay because piper is what like 15 16 so mm. i think when i initially read it um i was around 13 14 so i couldn't fully grasp the idea of like seeing an adult like cry um just because i was younger you know and th- that comes with life experience and then you get older you're rereading this and then you're like kind of hit with like how much like it would have felt to be like a child seeing someone who's like really meant to be your protector um and yeah it's just it was so it was so well done like mm. props to rick for this for this scene definitely um and it's just the whole thing is just like <sighs> this is one thing where i'm just kind of like i really wish we got to see more of tristan as a character just because he seems to be an interesting type character of a mortal who finds out and literally can't cope with the idea of it. And we see that told happen later on in like in the different series of just him kind of still dealing with those aftermaths. So I feel like it'd be nice if we got to learn a little bit more about him as well, just so we have that additional sort of pain of what he's going through. Um but admittedly, this book is already like nearly 600 pages long. So I think <laughs> the level we've got is, is okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. But um, 
Do you have anything else you want to say um, for Piper's chapters part one or do you want to move on to the next chapters? Nah, I think I think we're good. We can head off to Leo now. All right, cool. Uh, do you want to go through Leah's chapters overview that I've written or would you like me to go through it? Um, yeah, I'll go through it. Um, okay, so <laughs> Captain Leo <laughs> with our with helicopter skills takes them back to Jack London Wolfhouse, who according to Sin was a son of Mercury. Oh, Hermes. His demigod journey stopped there. Um, with memories of his missing, oh gosh, I can't read. With <laughs> memories of missing his mother and knowing he won't see her again, Leo focuses on destination. A nice heart to heart with Piper, the two think on the problems that could be met with Jason's returning memory, but not for long as they crash into some storm clouds. Wow, the plot thickens. <laughs> Landing with a bang, they stumble into a snowstorm that is covering the fighting surrounding the wolf house. Talia and her hunters on hand to protect the perimeter. The three head inside where Jason collapses from the weight of his returning memories. Finally, everyone rejoices. At her side, Leo concocts a plan for him and Piper to rescue her together. Unfortunately for them, evil Alpha has other plans. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. Not I feel evil like need... Alpha. Yeah, I feel like I need to explain. So I don't know how to pronounce the character's actual name. So I've been naming her Evil Elsa throughout, <laughs> throughout the book. Because I don't know how to say it. <laughs> um, I think it's Keown. Keown. Okay. That's how I've always pronounced it. Of yeah. course, I could definitely be wrong, but <laughs> that's how I pronounce it in my head. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's good to know. I think I, I saw it and I was like, I know I've said the name once before, but I don't remember how I said it. So I'm just going to name her Evil Elsa for like simplicity's sake. <laughs> But you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong in calling her that, though. <laughs> that is true. I did. I do like it actually, because like even her appearance, right? You know, like when Elsa does that whole thing with like the braid and stuff in the in the ice castle, like the way um, <laughs> Keone is described. I feel like that's like the appearance that comes to mind is Elsa in her ice castle. That's the vibe she's got. <laughs> well. <laughs> what year did this come out possibly rick was drawing inspiration from elsa um <laughs> maybe elsa is his use for keon <laughs> oh my god or maybe elsa i don't know which order it came out so did either elsa came out before or after either way one of them inspired the other so <laughs> either elsa is the new keon or keon is elsa <laughs> either way they both connect <laughs> They're the same. Yeah. <laughs> They're alternate universe versions of each other. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but for the feedback, also, I've just seen your first thing here. Like, yeah, Leo flying a helicopter. Somehow the coolest thing that he's done, other than maybe making, you know, the, the ship, but it's definitely not remembered. I swear I don't remember anyone bringing up the fact that he flew a helicopter with no knowledge. Yeah, exactly. And I was just like, oh, okay, guess you do that now. I was like, I was rereading it. And I was like, oh, dang, that's pretty cool. <laughs> it's, it's so crazy to me to think, like, the only other person I know who's done that with a helicopter is Annabeth. But that made sense because I'm like, 
Well, Annabeth like has like super intelligence. Yeah, so I guess it's kind of Olympian. Yeah, yeah. Um but then like we get this new skill like this new idea right, in the in these chapters and even in the previous section as well, um, when they're fighting um in in Cladis, um the, the other giant at Mount Diablo. Um and I don't know, it's just <laughs> Leo's uh, this is the thing. I don't understand how Leo has this ability to automatically know how to use any mechanical object. Like all I can think is like surely he would have been able to figure out that he could do that before. Like if he got into a car, had never driven it before, like driver's ed, like they have in the US or something, and he suddenly just automatically knew how to drive, but never knew how to do so before, and suddenly he can. Like surely that would bring about some questions. It's kind of. I feel like it gives off the same energy as like Piper being able to speak French because it's the language of love. Like it's just a plot device. Yeah. <laughs> Rick just said, you know what? This will work. This will work. And I hope no one else picks up on the continuity errors in this. <laughs> oh God. So true. I feel like that's a lot of, of this book is just like, okay, we need them to get to this place, but we have no transportation. Time for the plot devices. <laughs> <laughs> yep, pretty much. <laughs> um, but I've just seen your other note here to do with the Piper and Leo conversation. Uh, well, no, not the Piper and Leo conversation. Well, that as well, but the um, the Leo mentioning of like his arc and stuff. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, I think it was just him reminiscing on um, what we were talking about before, about like what Tristan, Tristan and um, Piper's relationship and their little conversation that is happening like with Leo and Jason just awkwardly standing inside um and it's like giving Leo kind of flashbacks to like how he has a family like he does have a family he came from he had his mom um initially but she obviously has died as we found out earlier um and then the quote that I think it really got to me it was like except the fact that you're gone forever and he wouldn't be able to see his mom because, you know, Piper dad has just had a reunion, but like he wants with all of his heart to have that, but he doesn't get to have that. Um, and it's just, it's so sad. And I think Leo's um, character arc and his overall storyline mm. is one of the saddest ones. Um and uh, like I like put a note here as well saying that like <laughs> what is it with um Rick Riordan giving his um most dramatic um backstories to um person of colors like people of color um but yeah because Nico as well is um I think notably one of the most tragic traumatic um stories in the entire Riordan verse mm. <laughs> yeah I completely agree with you it's just especially to your point as well like <laughs> I don't get why basically all of his bipod characters have really tragic stories like Hazel's devastating even living through would have been no it wasn't it was just se- segregation it wasn't unless it was Jim Crow I don't know if I think it was Jim Crow like the Jim Crow era. like living through that coming through to modern times then we've got Frank, whose life is tied to a stick. We've got Rainer, whose father turned into like a 
traumatic ghost for her as a child and then even being like kidnapped by pirates like all these horrific things uh then we've got piper obviously with um her dad situation we've got leo losing his mum i'm like come on rick <laughs> like it's like give him a break jeez exactly and like i swear uh, and this is the thing <laughs> okay so we have i think it's in the previous section um uh, of um mount diablo and even i think just a little bit before that as well like jason moans about learning all this terrible information about like his mum being an awful person and all these sort of things and having to carry this burden and i'm like mate these are such white boy problems when in comparison Spoken to like a true white man you literally like also, he doesn't have to carry the burden of who his mum was and her being a terrible person. He was two. He'd have no memories of this. His sister had to deal with that more than he did. He's just dealing with the memories that she told him about her experience with their mother. And he's, like, sad and angsty about it. I'm like, me. This is literally, like, first world problems. Like, everyone had, like, so many people have terrible parents. But so many other people, in comparison, <laughs> have much worse lives than you. Like, calm down. <laughs> mm. Yeah, not a fan of Jason either. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's it's disappointing that all the, like, the, the characters of colour in, in Heroes of Olympus particularly, just, they, they don't seem to be treated that well. In, and I know this is something that is, like, a, like a controversial topic in the fandom. But I think the more I read about in this series and the more I remember about Heroes of Olympus, the more it's so clear that their stories and their character arcs, I often, like, I just had a conversation with, actually, with um, Erica um, in the podcast Discord that we have. And, like, Frank's arc is basically, like, later down the line, I think it's in House of Hades, his arc is basically sacrificed and even his character is sacrificed for Jason to get a character arc, like that's insane. Oh, oh, you know, whoa, <laughs> yeah. When you put it like that, oh my gosh, yeah, it's kind of crazy. And this is the thing as well, like. Leo is also one of those characters. Like his arc isn't sacrificed for Jason or or any other white person, but like his character, I feel wasn't treated that well. Like this is the like this moment here of him having this quiet moment to do with his mum. I did actually really enjoy. It just the whole issue is I'm not a fan of Leo as a character because. All I just feel like is that he's just the jokes man. Like he's written as the jokes man and doesn't really end up getting much substance. Yeah. And it's disappointing because like he had so much potential for being like a really emotionally deep character and he becomes the jokes man who's just sad about being single. (sighs) Mm. Yeah. I feel like um, the fandom portrayal of who Leo is, um, is so much better than like the canon portrayal and it's really upsetting because it's like we get who leo valdez is but unfortunately the person who created leo valdez does not <laughs> oh my god so true honestly the fanon 
image of Heroes of Olympus is the better image. Although there are some things that I'm just like, Jason and Percy were not friends. How did this become like a fan canon? Because they hardly interact with each other. But then there oh, are some God. things. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Get me started on that. <laughs> <laughs> but there are some things from like the fanon ideas that really do make sense. And like Leo is one of them. Because the reality is that Leo is the jokesman who does mechanics, is sad about being single, and is a little bit misogynistic, if I'm honest. Admittedly, a lot of the boys in this series are a little bit misogynistic, if I'm honest. Yeah, for sure. And you can really tell in um, Heroes of Olympus. Maybe not so much in um, the Olympians, like Percy Jackson and the Olympians, mm. but Heroes of Olympus, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> these, these men need to be put in their place. Yeah. It's it's disappointing because like I I don't understand how it happened like like you've mentioned like Leo constantly trying to flirt with every girl he comes across and it's something that is like a main like thing that happens in Heroes of Olympus as a series and it's like what why <laughs> why yeah like there's there's actually no need for it um it's not a great personality trait adds absolutely nothing to your character. And overall, makes it a really bad reading experience. I have no idea why Rick felt the need to do it or if he did it unintentionally, which makes it somehow worse. Mm. It's just, it's so yucky and it makes me feel icky (laughs) as a female reader. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Like, there's just so many things in this series that just like, when you really think about them, I I think if you're reading them just casually, you don't really notice it that much but if like obviously with a podcast or if even if you're like an analytical reader by nature you notice it so much and you do feel a little bit uncomfortable at points yeah I certainly didn't feel it like when I was reading it younger but like um because of these podcasts that I've been guests on um I had the pleasure of coming back to these books that I've held, upheld like on such a high pedestal and then like I really had to go like oh I really read that as a kid and thought that that was okay. And then that was left a long impression on me. <laughs> like, oh, I might have to rethink <laughs> some of my like analysis on these books because, and my analysis of these characters and, and how I see them. I think it's also really important to be analytical of your favorite authors, despite them being your favorite authors, because mm. like um, reasons like this, like understanding like, oh yeah, these characters as much as you love them not perfect remind yourself they're not perfect um so yeah um I think that's valid for like anyone who is an avid consumer of media to constantly be analytical anyway yeah no definitely um I think that's just as a whole that's just the thing with this the only positive that I get from Leo's chapters is just Talia and it's because I just love Talia (laughs) and oh. obviously the moment with Piper yeah, like totally. his and Piper's friendship moment is really really sweet um but we can talk about that a bit more yeah. with relationships later because there's a lot more to go in yeah. deep with that yeah I agree all right yeah. so yes we have Talia she made the comeback and we also get a little glimpse of um Hera here mm. um ugh, not a fan <laughs> of her either and it's just like I hate that like Okay, may, I, I saw your note here. It's like um, the way that um, Hera is portrayed. Yeah, I think it's also, to, in general, Rick Riordan 
doesn't know how to write female characters. Mm-hmm. Um, the only character I've ever felt he has like done well and like written their perspective well is Annabeth, um, which we see in like Monte Vizina. But mm-hmm. um, even then, like I had issues with it. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think he just doesn't know how to write them. And you know what? Some writers can't write the other gender and that's fine. So I think he just shouldn't <laughs> just have it all male cast. So you just stop offending half of your um, reading audience. Yeah, no, I kind of agree with you there. I think the only other female character I can think of who's like POV, he does really well is Sadie. Because like Sadie feels like a real character. Like she feels like a proper like 13 year old girl who's a little bit irritating, has that sort of like, <laughs> has that moment of like she's a little bit full of herself, but in a way that you can kind of appreciate because, yeah, no, that's a lot of teenage girls around that age. Like I know I was definitely a little bit full of myself at that age, but that she's the only other character I can think of who, as a POV character, feels like like a proper female character. I think it's been a while since I've read Chain Chronicles. But I did recently buy them. So maybe I'm due for a reread. Because I do, I remember really enjoying um, the Kane Chronicles, but I just can't like fully remember um, like all their nuances and like their mannerisms. No, I get you. I would say I'm um, after The Lost Hero, I'm going to the first book of the Kane Chronicles. So if you want to come on when I'm doing those chapters um, in future, you are welcome to. Oh, I'd love to. <laughs> All right. Awesome. All right, guys, I've hooked her in for another episode. Don't worry, Caitlin, we'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> <Woo-hoo>! <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, to kind of move on to the next bit, so we've got Jason's chapters next. And oh, my God, I've just got to say, guys, the notes that Caitlin has left. All oh, my days. Amazing. That's just oh. I'm so excited to dive into it, but we'll do the overview first before we get into it. (laughs) So, Jason's chapter's overview. Here we go. Jason is helpless and angry as he listens to the villain monologue of evil Elsa. It was, oh God, I'm going to say it wrong. It was Cleon who manipulated the gods and, oh, I can't say his name either. Alos or alice maybe. alias a- alias, alias? Alice? oh yeah like an alias oh there's an it's on the u.s oh, oh it doesn't matter no one cares well i, I, I always say it wrong anyway <laughs> i've confused myself now <laughs> um which admittedly did surprise me because i f- i forgot that it was evil elsa who was manipulating them i thought it was gaia so literally in the previous episode i got mad that no one could figure out it was not not the previous episode the episode beforehand i got mad that no one could figure out that it was gaia doing these things and it wasn't gaia so now i've got to like apologize oh dear that yeah. to the best of us <laughs> yeah i got so mad at the characters it's like how have they not figured this out these dumb children um <laughs> But I was the dumb child. <laughs> That's what happens when you when you make children fight in the in the war. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I was the dumb one. So Piper, Leo, Jason. I forgot Jason was a character for a second. Then I'm very sorry for calling you guys dumb. 
<laughs> oh god but to carry on so it I was only half meant it yeah yeah I only half meant it to Jason <laughs> um so yeah it's been Cleon <laughs> who's been in control from the start unfortunately our heroes have to die now as their blood on this sacred ground will cause a war between the demigods for lifetimes to come but our trio aren't going down without a fight like a well-oiled machine, they take down their anime their, their enemies two by two. <laughs> but it's too late. The king of the giants has risen. As Leo and Piper set about freeing Hera, Jason faces the king and finally, kind of, sort of, remembering, reveals his true identity before fighting the 40-foot giant. Just as he's about to die... Hera is freed and the giant escapes. But of course, our idiot Jason just has <laughs> to look at Hera's godly form. This, I honestly. Oh, how nice of him. <laughs> literally, I remember reading this like the first time and I was like, this goddamn idiot. Like she even warned you and you just stood staring. <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's like those idiots who like, you know what would be a good idea? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. It's, it's, he literally just reminds me of, like, those idiots who forget to wear, like, those shades when it's, like, an eclipse and they just stare directly at it. And I'm like, that's how you can go <laughs> blind. Like, <laughs> that's Jason. Jason is that person. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh. <laughs> But yeah, so we have a lot to say about Jason, guys. Enjoy. Yeah, I, just, I don't know where to start. <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to start with what we were talking about misogyny earlier. Jason, the misogyny, Jason, what's happened? Like, there were some before, but this has gone very, very deep. Like, there is a, I just got to say this one bit. So it was, it's out, like, during Elsa's, not, I keep calling her Elsa now, during Cleos' monologue, there's a line that just feels so random. Like, it doesn't feel like it's part of anything. And it's the line, the enemy was beautiful. That's it. It's just a single line. And then it's followed. Yeah, like, <laughs> sorry, carry on. I remember like yeah no I remember seeing it I think I was gonna make a note on it I'm yeah I mentioned it later uh the intense focus on people's attractiveness please stop um because yeah. it was in reference to that and I was like um I thought we were trying to fight a giant here uh hello did you not get the memo of the 40 foot giant um hello <laughs> honestly it feels it feels so random. Like the, the way I described it is like it feels like the editor forgot to cut that line because they were meant to. Because like the previous line is, mm. but he'd never been closer to death than he was right now. The enemy was beautiful. Cleon smiled, her dark eyes glittering as a dagger of ice grew in her hand. The line makes no sense. <laughs> like it doesn't connect to anything. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Oh, it was so weird. But like you said, there are so many moments of Jason like being an asshole in these chapters. And it just I mean he's been an asshole to Leo from like the start. Like his first thought of like Leo is, oh, if this guy is my best friend, my life must be messed up. 
Like he's not been a nice guy from the start, in my opinion. But mm, yeah. Uh, I, but yeah, mention the, the the line that you found like the comments you gave on it. Yes. Um, I like. I'll just read it out. So one sort of girlfriend with a dagger. Firstly, um, again with the pointing out the girlfriend, and then the sort of just feels unnecessary and very rude. And then it mm. continues on to say, and Leo, who apparently thought he could defeat the armies of darkness with Bresnan. Putting it quite simply, asshole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, um, and then it's just so rude. And then later on, as they're continuing to fight, um, Keon um, like, offers Leo something like so that um, he can get Leo, uh, so that she can get Leo on her side um and then jason like for some goddamn reason is like he figured leo didn't have beautiful goddesses make him offers like this every day like geez like this man is going for their throats yeah that's just for absolutely no reason like these people have kept you alive this entire book they've been carrying this entire story sit down white man exactly like i swear jason is like the like the shittiest friend in person in this series and like obviously mentioning what i mentioned before like the fact that his arc is like given priority over like characters like frank and even leo as well like he's given so much priority over so many other characters i'm like but why he's not a nice person like and this is the thing so i've put like a little side i think i don't like him and when he did like look into hera's you know form and technically in the next section does die but piper brought him back i was just like can he just stay dead like i think i'd prefer him this way <laughs> <laughs> like honestly there's just there's something about his character that just rubs me the wrong way <laughs> yeah i think he's that character for me as well i think the only person who like annoys me more than Jason is Luke Castellan yeah um and that's a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah if they're white blonde boys except for Will Solace we don't like them <laughs> pretty much yeah <laughs> oh god um I was saying the one bit as well, just like from what you mentioned also, there is like a really weird attention to like the attractiveness of people in this series. I just don't, un- it, it's, I don't understand why. It just feels really unnecessary, but it happens throughout the entire series. Like it doesn't stop. It just keeps going and it keeps getting worse. Yeah. It's like, I think I mentioned this, uh, I think on, um, the series room podcast i was like saying like every time we get introduced to a new character the first thing that people point out um is whether or not they're attractive and i every time i've read it like been rereading these books i've just like said why like (laughs) you can describe a person's looks without saying whether or not they're attractive because you know beauty is in the eye of the beholder and whatever so like you really shouldn't and as well like for the readers like you shouldn't be putting it into these people's heads like these readers heads that like this person is inherently beautiful 
And so you should perceive them in that certain way because then like you have all these other connotations with that. Mm. But it's just like, it's so infuriating that this is happening, <laughs> to put it quite simply. Yeah, there's definitely something. And this is the thing that I notice a lot in like, like children's books. There is a particular description given to villainous characters and characters that you don't particularly like and it's either they're scarred in some way so luke um or they are like big characters weight wise like we had gabe who was described as fat and ugly we had dionysus who's described as fat and ugly there like there are so many characters who are quote-unquote not nice people who are, are described as ugly people and it's such a like it happens throughout either it's someone who's insanely beautiful and it's always a woman but is evil covered in scars usually a man evil if they're bigger weight wise evil or not nice and i'm just like what what like what kind of message is that to send in a kid's book oh yeah if you're on the heavier side weight wise not a good person you're ugly you're un unattractive you aren't nice like and it's every it's every like middle grade series that everything written for kids if someone is a quote-unquote fat character they're seen as not good people and i just think that's horrible it's everything that i read in and just the the attention on like attractiveness as well in heroes of olympus particularly is what just kind of drives that home for me. Like in Percy Jackson and the Olympians, anyone who was bigger was the villain. In this case, we do have some more like evil, quote unquote, femininity in a sense as well. But the the focus on attractiveness is just, I don't know. It's just, I don't know if I'm making sense, but it just, it feels wrong for this to be something to be shown and described to kids. No, it can, it makes complete sense to me because, like, um, I'm pretty sure, like, we're probably reading, like, the same type of book in that sense where, like, yeah, you have those exact same connotations, like, and it's a constant thing that you see. And the fact that it's, it's coming up often enough, you're noticing it, even if you're not avidly seeking it out, like, mm -hmm. that's a problem. And because um, the people who are, like, the age demographic of middle grade novels are so impressionable, it's so much more upsetting because you're putting it into their heads that this is what life is meant to be and it's not because it's such an unhealthy like mindset yeah it's just it's disappointing but it is very much and I think there's a thing it's a trope it's a trope for like quote-unquote fat characters quote-unquote scarred characters basically it's a little ableist and what what's uh, yeah there's ableism and fat phobia is it fat phobia i don't know if that's the correct term yeah it is okay it is but it's like there's a lot of like ableist fat phobic language in children's media for villainous characters i don't mm. it's just it's a recurring theme i can't think of other than actually the rick Riordan presents imprint so like tristan strong last fallen star I don't think any of them have it. I think it's kind of slowly disappearing from middle grade stories, but it definitely has been prevalent throughout. And it's something I've, I have noticed like through my rereads with like 
Rick Riordan's work that other than Trials of Apollo, I think Trials of Apollo sort of improves it a little bit more. And and like I think Trials of Apollo is where he realized. Yeah, I think Trials of Apollo is oh, sorry, Karen. Yeah. Yeah, I think Trials of Apollo is one of after the original series, Trials of Apollo like um analytically and um like uh quality wise i feel like it just it it felt more like home than here's of olympus did if that makes sense yeah no i completely agree i think this is the thing like i think rick realized that he screwed up a lot in heroes of olympus and basically tried to fix a lot of it in charles of apollo and i think he did a pretty good job if i'm honest um mm, there are definitely some yeah, things I yeah there's some things still need some work but obviously he can't really because the series is finished but maybe that's something for the tv show um that can be like fixed in some areas um so i've just realized i've led us onto a huge off. tangent <laughs> oh sorry <laughs> <laughs> no i think it's, it's a very important conversation i think it needs to be no, no, you're good. I think it's an important conversation that needs to happen. And I think, because we're both writers as well, I think it's mm. also something that we need to take on as writers going into the future as we try to get our work published. Um, we keep this in mind that, like, we're not feeding into these tropes um, and enabling them. And in fact, mm. we're actually, like, what is it? What's the opposite of enabling? <laughs> like, taking it apart. <laughs> yeah, so dismantling the tropes yeah mm. all right let's get back on track yeah. <laughs> <distracted>. um, <laughs> so um I think plot wise so where we are right now like Jason is like remembering more so he does his whole he has his whole spiel about I am Jason Grace son of Jupiter um and I think like that was pretty cool I think that's probably his main character moment if you will it's probably his only main character moment um but like he does he does the whole like um i am slayer of this i am this of this i destroyed this with my bare hands and i was like you know what yeah go white man go you know (laughs) you you beat you beat that giant up (laughs) um and also like with the giant um because i in australia context um i'm australian um we don't use feet in um measurement so i can't really gauge how tall 40 feet is but because we use meters but i'm guessing because i think three feet is like one meter um and i'm not very good at math so i'm just guessing it's very tall so but the imagery of um in general that rick has um in his writing like as a whole is like amazing Mm. so i can still kind of picture this giant and it's really cool when you kind of like imagine like jason just just kind of just running up to this giant and jumping on him it's like it's a great image to have even if it's not very realistic yeah no i completely agree i think it it, his his imagery like you said is is really really good and i do appreciate it the one thing so i put a little i think after this bit where we put our notes so <laughs> i googled to find out how tall jack london's wolf house was because when they said he was a 40 foot tall giant i was like how has he like how has this building not been destroyed because surely he'll be as like 
his head will be bursting out of the ceiling. But it turns out, so the building is exactly 40 foot tall as well. Still wow. logistically not possible because like any movement, like surely there are going to be other parts that aren't at the same level. But still, mm. <laughs> at least it kind of makes sense now. But, you know, plot convenience a little bit, maybe. <laughs> Just a smidge. Just a smidge. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, this, okay, we're backtracking just a tiny bit because I really want to mention this. Um, so the Heroes of Olympus books, they're not that funny. I will like 100% say that. They're not that funny. I know Leo is meant to be funny. He's meant to be the joke character. But nothing is on par with Percy's sarcastic humor and the banter he has like inside like his inner monologue it's hilarious absolutely i still laugh at damn jokes okay i still laugh at them. um but like <laughs> the stupidness of needing an outlet for the soul that leo is going to use to break open Hera's cage like <laughs> i reread it last night going back over the notes and i was like genuinely laughing i was like <laughs> leo's like i don't have an outlet <laughs> and then Jason's like, Jason was like, this is our time, Tempest, this is our time. (laughs) (laughs) That was, I I did think that was pretty smart. When I saw your notes on this, I hadn't read that part yet. So I was like, wait, what is that? And then I got to it and I was like, oh my God, I forgot that. (laughs) They used wind, like an electric horse to power a saw. (laughs) amazing like rick is the king of plot devices and i genuinely really like this one i'll let him have it 100 <laughs> percent. oh my god it's the one thing I'm like yes no i'll let you have that one because <laughs> it's funny yeah um yeah and then yeah so we have like the fight um i think which is really cool and i think we'll talk more about that later yeah yeah all right um and then just this part um towards one of it's towards the end of his chapters where he um he just finished his spiel um about like I am Jason Grace of Love Law and then Leo comedic timing oh like also give Rick this it, Leo says wow dude <laughs> I can't even say it you've been eating red meat <laughs> like <laughs> I think people needed to read the show notes in order to discern exactly what I'm saying because you probably can't hear me because I'm laughing so much (laughs) but um there's this text post that I saw on Tumblr I think um and it was like Jason was way too tame for someone who was raised by wolves um and I wish we had seen more of this feral side of him um, and then I, I like the fact that Leah was like, have you been eating some red meat? Like, why are you so, like, it's so funny to me. Oh my God, 100%. I completely agree with that. Someone who's raised by wolves is a feral child. Like, I know he won't goes off later to, well, as we find out later, to like be part of Camp Jupiter, but, and like get that sort of like, you know, like training level of being like a, a perfect soldier. But still, there's still going to be some wildness to a person who's being raised by wolves. But yeah, it's just a point. It would have been a more interesting part of him than like the plank of wood that we've gotten. Um, (laughs) 
It was at least he'd have a, a bit of an interesting character if he was a bit feral. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. But um, I think that's all we've kind of got on Jason. So uh, do you want to do the overview section for Piper's part two? Yep. All right. So heading on to the next overview for Piper, we have Jason being an idiot, as we said. Um, and Piper, as we all know, and everyone should, is too good for him. But hell, is she so powerful that that friend gives this moment a pause and you know what i agree you know what i wholeheartedly agree because like i think people forget okay i'll go into this later but like her power is like unmatched mm-hmm. truly and then through sheer power of will piper brings jason back to life and even hera has to respect that as she should the reality of their situation dawns on them. The king giant is risen and intends to destroy the gods at their root, while Jaya sleeps now. However, it will not last for long, unfortunately. With the hunters on their way out, Hera gives our heroes a last bit of advice, but really, <laughs> no one wants it. The fates do not tell you your journey. You must discover your way to it on your own. Can you see why we don't want her advice? <laughs> In other words, figure it out yourself and then get back to me. <laughs> With that, she gifts the trio back to Camp Hathbud in a blink of an eye. Thank the gods for godly travel and plot devices. Yeah, the plot device aspect is the main thing here. As well as the fact that Piper ends up in what, what was it like Drew's pizza, like her foot in her pizza or something like that. Like very plot convenient. Oh. We got the misogyny there as well. Lovely. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The, the yeah. I, I want to say like I, I love Piper as a character, but she is a little bit misogynistic at times herself. Like proper internalized mm. misogyny, one hundred percent. I agree. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so, oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. I was just going to head into the feedback. Go for it. All right. So. Um, I think the first thing that I want to mention is that we get some emotion from Talia. Like we have um, another reunion. I feel like we've had three reunions between <laughs> the two of these characters, but we have another reunion between Talia and Jason. Um, but right before that, we get the like role emotion from Talia feeling like she's lost him again, because at this moment in time, it's probably like, uh, second time losing him there's the initial time when she thought he was dead as a child and then before when they were separated um and just like it makes like and then Talia is like screaming at her she's like this is all your fault like bring him back like give him back to me and it's just it hurts a little bit like I don't know if you've got siblings but like um putting yourself in um Talia's shoes like I'm an older sister, so um, I like hypothetically like you think of like your own like little sibling, and you're just like, gosh, just let them let them be happy. Gosh, yeah. I guess like Rick, leave them alone. <laughs> let them be happy. <laughs> um, and we don't get a lot of this relationship um, thus like from this book onwards that I can kind of really place off the top of my head. 
which is really upsetting because I love the two of them together and I, and I love Talia as a character and I feel like Talia has so much personality and character in her that she gives some of it to Jason which um, I really appreciate um, so I'll take any scrap of um, relationship between these two that I can get from the books <laughs> yeah I think you're right like as far as I'm aware this is the only book that we do see an interaction between them the only other time we see Talia again is with Raina in Blood of Olympus when they're traveling back to Camp Half-Blood with the Athena Partheos um, that's the only other time that we see Talia mm. and it's with Raina as far as I'm aware I don't, maybe we do see her at another point but mm. that's the only other one I can remember in Heroes of Olympus and then we don't see her again until after the burning maze. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think the only other thing that I kind of drew upon from this particular um like set of this chapter, sorry, um, is the growth of confidence we get from Piper, and I think it comes with her like she was holding her own in the fight, as we saw unfortunately through Jason's eyes. um but you know seeing her you know hold her own like do her own cool demigod things and then bring a human being back to life you know that's gonna be a bit of a confident boost um I like seeing her like that because she feels more assured um in her herself um and like she no longer has that burden of her like father on her like Mm. shoulders I think which is nice as well definitely I think that's the thing about Piper. Like, I feel like Piper is the one character that definitely grows in this book. Like, we're seeing her her growth in confidence. We're seeing her growth in power as well. She brought someone back to life with the power of her voice. Like, that's insane. Mm. But she's so underestimated in, in, like, the fandom as well. And even in the books. Like, I feel like this is the most powerful we end up seeing her. Like, we have her other... Basically, when she's not with Jason in the rest of the series she's super powerful and has like an incredible character the moment she's with jason again like her her character is like dampened down to be on the same level like boring level as him which is really disappointing because she's such a powerful character and like this is just one moment of that because like she brings him back to life twice i'm pretty sure because like obviously in blood of olympus he gets stabbed and she nurses him back to health this is twice twice she's brought him back to life it's insane. Crazy. Yeah, she's amazing. Love yeah. her. Hate him. <laughs> yes. Love her, hate him. I think I know what meme I'll be making for this episode. <laughs> 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 oh, God. Or, or Robert, if you're listening, that would be a great meme for, <laughs> for this episode if I don't make it. Oh, I get to make it onto the, the meme page. Oh, what an yes. honor. <laughs> Oh, their work is brilliant. I absolutely love it. Well, that, that means, honestly, honestly. Oh, that's to everyone listening as well. Actually, I'm gonna list the the. Oh God, I can't. The damn meme page in the episode show notes as well because uh, Robert, they do like episode, like they do memes for every Percy Jackson podcast. Incredible. I'm. I don't know if did you see the ones that they did for your episode with CB Brain? Oh, I don't think I do. I did. Oh, I'll I'll send them to you after this so you can see them. 
Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> All right. So we've just gone on another tangent. <laughs> no, that's that's my fault. <laughs> um, but the only thing I had for these chapters was that there's a bit of a continuity error in this section where Talia knows what the giant meant about tearing the gods from their roots because she was an icicle when that conversation happened. Like she was frozen in ice when he talked about tearing them from their roots. Like only Piper would have had that knowledge. Like Talia was not there, not with it, but she knows what it means. It's kind of, that's that's the only thing that I I have to say, because like, unless she's conscient, conscious in the ice and can feel everything around her, which doesn't feel the most realistic, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> Mm. yeah come on rick do better (laughs) (laughs) that's the only thing i had for that so we can now go down into the um different breakdowns for for this uh episode so we'll be starting first with the family section and honestly i think this is my favorite section for (laughs) for what we're going to be talking about yeah i think so too personally Oh, 100%. I'll let you start, Caitlin. So obviously we'll, we're talking mainly about uh, Piper and her dad, Tristan. Um, okay, yeah. So as I was saying before, like just the emotional depth and rawness we get from it um, was just something that we just hadn't seen in this book um, and uh, thus far. And I think we didn't get um, a lot of that rawness with Sally and Percy so much because Sally and Percy were like they got along so well so like we didn't get like a lot of the pain and the angst that comes with having like a mortal father or sorry a mortal parent who like doesn't know what's happening with their demigod child because Tristan just didn't know what was happening Mm. and then so as I was saying like that in that insight of the mortal scene the demigod world where it's like literally tearing him apart tearing his insanity um down to like the bare minimum and it's really heartbreaking and like it summing it up in like a quote from the text it says monsters I live in a world of monsters like oh like it really like it hits your heart Mm. it's it's absolutely devastating to see and it's something that I can't like like you mentioned like it's something I kind of wish we had seen a little bit of it before like we've seen how the mist can kind of help convince people to not see weird things um but for it like we've never seen like an overexposure um of mortals seeing something like the only times i think we saw it was like um what would they be what are they called um like human militants so the ones who were like joining luke's army who are like mortals um with the guns and stuff and we assumed that they probably knew what they were seeing um but it didn't drive them mad probably through greed of some kind but this is the first time we're seeing a mortal who's been overexposed to something that the mist Mm. can't warp their mind or maybe even the mist is trying to warp their mind so he can kind of make sense of it but that's what's helping to break his mind is that the mist yeah. is kind of counteracting it? It'd be interesting. I know um, through the mist, which is um, another Percy Jackson podcast with oh, and the other British Percy Jackson podcaster, um, he analyzes, uh, analyzes like all the different like magic systems. I think he did like a video on the mist in particular. Um, 
I don't know if you mentioned about this, but it'd be interesting to like find out if like maybe the mist was causing more damage to Tristan trying to get him to kind of understand what happened. But um, it is, it's really, really sad to see someone like break down. Um, and like what I mentioned earlier as well, like finally seeing this connection between Piper and her dad, but her seeing him become so broken. It's just, I think it's the thing like it's, it's sad that the the deeper moments that we see between them, this, this is like the only one and it's when one of them is traumatized. We don't really see many more like memories between them, except for that one um, on the beach, I think, um, before she's sent to the wilderness school. Um, I wish we'd been able to see more memories of the two of them with her dad being the normal person that he is. But like the main times that we we've, we've seen him is him being traumatized, and it's just it's it's just heartbreaking just to see see this man that she looked up to and someone that has is like this huge movie star as well and is known for being confident and powerful break down into tears like a like like a child in a sense from being so traumatized by everything that's happened. It's just it's kind of hard to read sometimes. Um, and there's a few things like that in Heroes of Olympus where there are some moments that are so heartbreaking that it's hard to read, which I think just shows the power in which the text can have for these sorts of moments. Yeah, I agree. And also with what you said, like the other moment that we see with Piper and her dad, like if we had seen more of those happier moments, um, I think having that juxtaposed with this moment would make it so much like better, like as a... Mm like a text as a whole because mm. you see like there's there's a relationship there that they do have and it's being ripped apart because of this demigod world um and like it's putting a damper on their relationship that was already kind of strenuous like at best um and again like um the final note I have about like Piper and her dad is like um another quote because I like supporting my stuff my analysis with evidence um her dad finally knew who she was he was proud of her and for once she was his hero not the other way around he would never send her away now they shared a secret and like it didn't like having that like they now have this i guess i hate things but like they have a trauma bond mm. in that sense where like they have this thing that they share now um and you would think that that would now cause them to lean on each other but unfortunately, it's also driving them further apart because now he has the choice to forget all of it. And like that also is just so heartbreaking that like he's so tra traumatized that like he has to forget or else he's going to be in this constant pain. And like mm. she just wants to be seen by her dad. Um, and after so long of him of feeling like she's not seen, um, and all of these issues that they've had in their past, um, past relationship, it, it's the same story for so many of the demigods. Like it's just literally the same reason why Luke started his little revolution or not revolution, like this, his war um, mm -hmm. was because he didn't feel seen. And you see that repetition, um, but this time from the side of um, the mortal parent. And it's so sad. Yeah. No, I completely agree. It's just, it's, it's nice to kind of see it to have like see this effects that 
this world can have on mortals but to think that this is something that's going to in a sense drive more of a wedge between piper and her dad with him having taken the potion um it's just yeah poor piper <laughs> truly poor piper yeah someone needs to give her a hug and it can't be jason because this guy sucks um leo give her a hug, <laughs> I'll hug her. yeah leo or some yeah annabeth us and the fandom give her a hug stop saying she what sucks she i don't get that either jeez yeah it's misogyny that's that's all i can think of that it is. it's misogyny <laughs> it's misogyny <laughs> that's another meme it's misogyny <laughs> <laughs> why do people hate piper misogyny <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> moving on from misogyny <laughs> to, <laughs> to the fight scenes in this uh section because there are some pretty good fight scenes i think you touched on a little bit of the one to do with um the the giant as well um i think that, that, i think this is probably some of the better fight scenes that we've we've seen in this book so far but um i'll let you take it away with the uh the hunters section and uh jason's uh. I see wooden plank, which is oh uh, yes, that's, that's him. Stupid plan. <laughs> yes. That's stupid plank. Um, so the first bit of action we get is like they literally uh, they walk into like the wolf house as the hunters are fighting, and like Talia, her little entrance is like a gymnast flip, and then she's like notching an arrow, and it she lets it go, and it's just like wow, she's so badass. <laughs> I want to. I want to be like her. I want to be with her. I want, I, I want to be her best friend. I'll take anything she's willing to give me. Like, I love Talia and I love the hunters as a whole because they're just so cool. They represent so much of what I think, like, feminism, like, should represent. And I feel like I don't understand how Rick could have gone so good with the hunters and creating this like girl empowerment and then got in so many of his female characters like so wrong in the way that he wrote them because he was able to create the hunters and they're mm. so amazing yeah. um and then yeah sorry carry on <laughs> um, yeah and so we and then okay and then so the next um action bit we get is with jason um who in comparison to his sister not as cool because he has his icy wooden plank <laughs> and like I know in part that he Rick Riordan is like trying to be funny here and he is like trying to appeal to his younger audience but like I feel like a lot of his jokes in the Heroes of Olympus series are like hit or miss um and especially coming from Jason who is very bland his character his like jokes just don't hit the way that I think leo's jokes do um and just like i it was it was stupid i didn't like it um i've i wanted him to i wanted to see him use his demigod powers again which he does mm. use later on but um just i wanted to point out that it was really stupid that he had an icy wooden plank to be fighting with and he yeah. says it himself like he's very well aware that it's stupid but yeah 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 the whole thing is like I've, i i added on to this with my, my comments that the Heroes of Olympus book seems to destroy so many brilliant magical items. Like later on, like Annabeth's hat is no longer working. Um, obviously, Jason's magical weapon um, is broken for reasons. Um, 
but so many people lose magical items in this series. I just do not understand it. But the one thing about Jason's item is so only one part of it broke. So I think it was like the the lance or the spear or whatever it was that broke. But there's still a sword on the other side of the flip. So why why does the why why does one half of it breaking mean that the other bit can't be used? That just feels really random, and I don't understand the reasoning for it. And he also never gets like a another magical item like because he's too bland he doesn't deserve it <laughs> that's true that's true i'll accept that answer <laughs> <laughs> go ahead and be a servant <laughs> <laughs> but um there are so many things in this and this is the thing as well like piper has had so many really great fights like the, and the, the thing that we see with piper in this as well even in the previous section when they're on mount diablo we aren't in Piper's POV when she's being a badass bitch. Like she's doing so many incredible things with her fighting. And like you like you mentioned as well, like it's ruined her skills and ability as a fighter by Jason focusing solely on her looks as she fights. Like let Piper have her moment without just being reduced to beauty. Come on. I'm tired. <laughs> it's, it's, it's yeah, it's so tiring. I was just gonna say it's so tiring to read it because it's like, oh, like it. It's like when you read something from Jason's perspective, everything is just washed in a really yucky light. Yeah, and the only person who looks good in his perspective is him, and even then, like it's pushing it because he is not a very fun character to read from. Um, <laughs> and like I say here that like. Jason using his demigod powers is like the only fun thing about him because his powers are cool. Like being a child of Jupiter is pretty cool because mm. it's like the king of gods, you know, like he should and he does feel like a child of the big three. Um, not always, I'll admit, like sometimes he feels like he doesn't have access to his all his powers, um, which is unfortunate because I feel like with a little bit more development, he could have. Um, but yeah, like, he, he feels like a child of the big three when he's fighting this giant. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, no. I, would, uh, I was just going to kind of, like, carry on from that with that. Um, his battles with the giants, like, he's had two. He's had two fights with the giants. And I mentioned this in um, last week's episode for anyone who hasn't or may have listened to that one. His fights with the giants do feel kind of unrealistic. Like they read really interestingly, but they just don't feel realistic. Like he's fighting 30 and 40 foot giants. And there's one like in the last um, one that he fought, he tackled a 30 foot giant by running into his legs. Like that, that is not humanly possible for someone who's maybe what, maybe like five foot six to like tackle like like rugby tackle a 30 foot giant and sort of do the same in a sense with this 40 foot giant by jumping onto him it just i don't understand the logistics but i feel like the only reason why he's being written to defeat these giants is to kind of make us as the readers see him as a powerful rival to percy when in reality, he's just kind of meh. Yeah, I the, the meh part, I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> <laughs> like, I do see where you're coming from in the terms in the 
in the sense that like yeah he's written to be a powerful rival but also like i think he is he is technically meant to be on par with percy because he is like you know the son of jupiter and all of that mm. but um i think it's just because he i don't know because we don't he in default in um fighting i think if i can remember correctly his default is to reach for his sword he doesn't reach for his powers the way that Percy reaches for his powers, I think. Um, and I think that's why they're so unevenly matched. I think I could be completely wrong, um, but it has been a while since I've studied the text. But I think that also might be a thing. Yeah, I think that you're right as well. Like, all I can remember is, like, the only times I see him use his powers is, like, as a very last resort. Whereas, like, yeah. whereas Percy uses his more regularly, which I think is, like, it's sort of like working out your muscles in a sense. Like, Percy uses yeah, his powers exactly. regularly, so he's more powerful. Whereas Jason, he can use it at, in that last resort moment, and it's super powerful, but he can't continuously use it because it wipes him out because he doesn't use it as much. He's, like, that one-time yeah. gym goer who, like, does so much at once kind of messes up his muscles doesn't do it again for a long period of time and then does the exact same thing mm. yeah that that makes sense okay but i'm not wrong in saying that then Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> um the only other thing i was just going to say is like because we haven't talked about leo yet um who is fighting a literal goddess <laughs> like that's pretty damn cool like i personally like leo so I know you you said that you didn't, but I do quite like Leo. Um, so him going head to head with the goddess, you know, who's like the goddess of snow, I'm pretty sure. And like, he's literally got like a wall of fire and he's throwing fireballs at her. Um, that's a really cool image. I really appreciate that. Um, and then, yeah, the only other thing about the fight was um, it was too short. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted more. I wanted more because just as I was kind of getting into it, and being like, oh, yes, yes, Jason, go, go, white boy, go. Um, it ended, which yeah. um, was unfortunate. But um, I guess good things come to an end, even if it's just for like two pages. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. Like the fighting in, um, especially for the giants, this is the thing I noticed throughout the, the whole of Heroes of Olympus. The giants are pretty easy to defeat, which I feel like shouldn't be a thing. Like the Titans took mm. work to defeat. Yeah. Like but, the, I can recall um, Hyperion was probably one of my favorite fight scenes ever mm. um, where Percy first summons a hurricane. That was like a whole last chapter if I'm like correct in saying that. Like it, it took a great deal to take down these Titans and the Giants are meant to be so overpowered. But yeah, oh well yeah <laughs> that's just one thing of um the disappointments of heroes of olympus they're meant to be the most powerful most undefeatable creatures and i'm pretty sure even in blood of olympus it takes a chapter for like 12 giants to be defeated like mm. Mm. <laughs> but uh <laughs> you know that's how it is <laughs> but uh in terms of narrative for going for well for later on but for this book in particular but this section in particular um i saw you know to do with the the plot of needing the demigod and the god to destroy the giant 
Um, it's a really interesting point. So like, I'll let you talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, I think you was actually just talking about it as well, like how um, in order to defeat um, a giant, in case you didn't know, you need a demigod and a god because um, we're all in this together. Um, <laughs> and I really enjoy that, actually. Like it's um, a plot, it's part of the plot that I really like because we don't see a lot of the gods. We always mm. see the gods being annoying and kind of helping kind of like behind the scenes. But here we have like front and center, they have to be there. They have to be part of the plot in order for it to work. And you feel that continuation from the original series where the gods were completely absent. And we get that little callback um, from Dionysus from the last Olympian saying, we need demigods, like him as a god saying, we need demigods. Um, and like that felt really significant to me. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's something that's really interesting. And it's, it's something that at the same time, I feel could have led to, like obviously in this case, Jason wasn't getting any, any help from his dad. I feel like this would also have been like a really interesting book for you know, that continued connective thread from Percy Jackson and the Olympians of, you know, the still kind of continuing resentment of the, the Greek gods because they're still not exactly the most caring of parents. They don't support their kids, especially in moments when they really need to be supported. Like, I remember reading it and you mentioned it as well. Like, it feels really random that like Zeus helps him just previous, like in the previous section, fighting um and and Caladus on Mount Diablo and then he doesn't help him defeat this guy um I know it's so here mm. to do it in a sense although she doesn't because he disappears but like it feels really random and sort of out of place and like I feel like that should have led to more of a moment of like Jason resenting his father because I think that would have been like a really interesting arc for the gods as well. Like they're, they're kind of falling back into their old habits or like immediately after they're still, they're embarrassed by what like Percy did. They don't want to, you know, show that they need demigods. They don't want to help them. And they eventually learn that yeah. they have to. So that fight at the end in Blood of Olympus feels more powerful because they've gotten over their egos by that point. Yeah. To work That's together. So um. So I feel like that would have been interesting to kind of show that more connection that of these kids kind of like sort of calling out the parents more so like adding on to what Percy does in The Last Olympian of all of the seven basically calling out their parents being like, guys, you get your shit together. We've got to defeat giants. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it's, in, it's an interesting thing. I do wish there was some more connective threads for like even an arc for the gods because we only get an arc for the gods really in trust of Apollo with Apollo and it's yeah. only Apollo who gets an arc really yeah everyone uh, else is still an arsehole yeah <laughs> except for the few that aren't like Hades is okay Artemis we stan Hestia queen should be queen fuck you Hera um you know <laughs> But the rest, yeah, they could do... Even Dionysus, actually, I think is quite an interesting... I quite like Dionysus. Everyone kind of shits on him a little bit. But I'm like, hey, you know what? Man's, man's poor through. I kind of yeah. like him. I have a soft spot for him. Definitely. Like, and the whole thing is, like, he doesn't... He doesn't hide behind perceptions. Like, he lets people know. Like, he doesn't treat them in a way that is a false pretense. Like, he shows, like, you know, I don't mm, care for yeah. heroes. I don't like them. Explains why 
justifiable reason as well, but he still cares for his kids. Like he's the only one other than Hades, maybe, who shows care and heartbreak for his children. Yeah, I agree. Hardly. I think, I think such a tangent. Um, I don't know if you'll keep this in, but my favorite quote from Hades is his quote to Nico, and I have it like literally memorized. And it was like, my children are so rarely happy. I would like to see you be the exception. Like, it's my favorite quote from Hades. And it's why I don't hate him. Like, he's so, like, that is my favorite conversation ever. Anyway, tangent over. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it kind of ties into this. Like, it's something that, um, it, it's, it's a good reason for the gods to kind of get more involved in everything that's going on. They don't really for a while, which is disappointing. But things like that, I think, show the depth that some of the gods do have um yeah which is always good so so much is at stake yeah especially with um what's obviously been laid out for the the connective threads for the future books of the giants escaping to go and destroy the the olympians homeland in greece like literally tearing them out from the roots probably from the original mount olympus um though that's obviously not said but we can assume and we know (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> because they've um, read them like three times <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> um and I think personally for me the only thing that irritates me of about the narrative for this section is that it's taken 500 pages to get to this climax and we still have so many unanswered questions that are sort of there i.e Camp Jupiter but aren't answered yet because it's going to be like the finale name drop thing and I'm like come on now I'm tired just finish (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah I agree like it's I don't remember like I don't remember it being this boring (laughs) like generally like it does it does take a like when you like put it like that 500 pages like that's a lot of pages so like finally have stuff and like he just gets his memory back and even then he hasn't he hasn't like acknowledged any of it yet he just said oh yeah I'm just name dropping all of this achievements I did um from a life that I had before meeting you guys but I'm not going to say anything about it um not just yet I'll wait until later when um it's convenient (laughs) for me only and not everyone else yeah it feels really random as well so like he remembers his achievements but like because the whole thing is like he doesn't remember quote-unquote the name of the camp or like where like where he was raised after the wolf house i'm like if you've remembered everything else except for that basically that is the worst plot convenience i think i've ever read like come on (laughs) stop dragging this out (laughs) just tell me let us be free (laughs) just finish the goddamn book <laughs> I'm trying to. I don't actually know how many pages. Like I'm just looking. But I've got. I know I have two more like section, like story sections left for this. So there's like this much left. I don't know how. So we're at page 518 is where we've ended. Um, and there are. Oh, okay. So there's not that many. There's only. Uh, there's another 40 pages. Another 40 pages left. How are there two separate story segments? That's kind of weird. Anyway. um, (laughs) But yeah, (laughs) so we've got 40 pages until we find out 
what's happened but it's nearly 600 pages and nothing's happened (laughs) it's like it feels like we're still in the same spot as we were at the beginning except like he remembers something but not like the key thing that we want which is where the heck is Percy Jackson Um, yeah we still don't know that yeah we don't know we still only know bits and pieces about Jason we don't know really what's going to happen next it's just do I don't I feel like I need to ask you this because I've asked a few people and they've come on this like do you feel tired after reading these sections from the lost hero um I I think I I was pretty lucky because our this section um was pretty interesting I think in comparison to other parts of Lost Hero, but definitely getting through like <laughs> Jason's point of view, I was like, come on, <laughs> let's get to it. <laughs> Hello. Chop, chop now. <laughs> yep. Pretty much. But um, I think, it, I guess it's dependent on what part of the book you're kind of reading from. But mm. for me, I managed to get through it like reasonably okay. And like, I enjoyed it. Um, but I know that if I had been reading a different part of the book, I wouldn't have the same answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of where it is. Like some parts can be really interesting because there's quite a lot happening, but then other parts you just feel like there's. I've had so many discussions with like a few things that I've had people on, and even like in my own section, so I'm just like, why was this part here? It's like you know the 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 crusty section in like the lightning thief it feels really random for that to just kind of be there. yeah um I think that was like a, a level up like Percy needs to practice being a demigod before he does, becomes the real demigod maybe yeah so if it, at least it feels a little bit like it has a purpose but it's definitely something you're kind of like oh if you could cut something that's probably it there are like 20 different things in the lost hero where I'm just like <laughs> this could have been cut this did not need to be here just give us Percy Jackson that's all we're here for (laughs) (laughs) oh honestly I think the whole thing is like so I discussed this with someone else so the lost hero it's the first book and it's one of the it's longer than the finale so it's longer than blood of olympus oh that's ridiculous really yeah, yeah, yeah. And literally, I was looking at it, so I was comparing the sizes of the books and stuff like that, because I've got them all in paperback. And The Lost Hero is bigger than Blood of Olympus. That's ridiculous. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know that. Yeah, I did. Um, actually, hold on. I'm just going to check to see how many pages there are in Blood of Olympus. Ah, actually, no, I'll just Google it, because I want to make sure I'm actually what I'm saying is correct. It, it's definitely a lot smaller. So Blood of Olympus. Well, to be fair, um, I disliked Blood of Olympus so much. So I probably only read that one like twice. But Oh, yeah. It's not great. <laughs> oh, so technically, so where we've got to at page 518, that's the length of Blood of Olympus is 516 pages. Um, and Lost Hero is 550. So technically, it's only 40 pages longer. But, you know, still, it's longer than the finale. <laughs> we could have given us 40 pages to the Jaya fight, saying it right now. Literally. literally. And also, have Aphrodite not be throwing flowers. Come on. Oh, my God. <laughs> have me on for the Blood of Olympus. I am having you on. 
100%. I think I'm going to do like a big collaboration for that specific section of just like having everyone here so we can all just rant and rave about how dumb that fight is. Yes, happily. (laughs) Oh gosh, awesome. Um, But yeah, I think that's kind of all for the the Wolf House section for for The Lost Hero. Um, (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's kind of crazy. Um, But everyone listening, obviously, you know what's coming now. And that is this week's question of the episode, which is going up on all of our social media. So the question that I have for you is, how did you feel about the climactic battle with freeing Hera and fighting the Giant King? Let me know on social media or email in. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. But um, Caitlin, thank you so much for coming to talk with me. This has been great. I've learned so many new things. I've had a blast. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. And I'm very excited to be coming back in the future. Who knows when, but... um, (laughs) I will be back. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. I would definitely be having you back. Likely for maybe Kane Chronicles if you can, but that's one of the other books as well. If not, order them at some point. They're so long. Like I could technically have yeah, you on for all so of them. Many. <laughs> There's so many. They're all so long. I could technically have you on for all of the books at some point. <laughs> but I would definitely bring you back because it's been great. But um, as a reminder to everyone, um, let them know where you can find where they can find you. And obviously that's all linked in the episode show notes for everyone as well. Yes. So um, just a final reminder, you can find me uh, at Percibet Steel's fandom um, or Caitlin Reads a lot. I'm on either Instagram or YouTube. My YouTube is Caitlin Reads a lot. Um, I primarily only post like Percy Jackson stuff. So if you like Percy Jackson, which I'm assuming you do, considering you're listening, um, you can check me out there. I write and I post expos and stuff. So, yeah. All right. Awesome. <laughs> um, also, if you like, um, you've been writing some uh, Percy Jackson fan fiction and stuff as well, haven't you? I feel like I've seen some of your stuff before. Yes. I have. Just Yeah. Primarily on Instagram. Like that's where it's um, best to find it. So. All right, you fab. can check it out there. Yes, guys, get on that. Um, <laughs> but um, yes, so thank you everyone for tuning in and joining us for this story segment. Be sure to join me with, I think I have another guest next week. I don't actually remember. So either join me by myself or with another guest next Wednesday as we continue the Ronverse journey. To plug where you can find this podcast, we are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audio Boom, Stitcher, Deezer, and basically wherever you listen to your podcasts. In the meantime, between episodes, you can find The Best Damn Camp on various social media at Best Damn Camp Pod on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to email me with your thoughts, you can email thebestdamncamp at hotmail.com or you can become a podcast patron over at patreon.com slash a healthy dose of Fran, which is linked in the episode show notes for early access and other exclusive perks. Want more Percy Jackson content? Check me out on YouTube at a healthy dose of Fran. And if you want to support my own writing, drop me a follow at a dose of Fran on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Again, thank you guys for tuning in and to Caitlin for joining me for this brilliant episode. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) As always, I've been Fran, your very hunter, and I'll see, shall I speak to you guys next time? Bye. Bye.